The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would be with us today as we reflect on this gospel message. Help us to believe that you have something you want each of us to hear. Give us the faith we need to receive your message and your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a phrase I've picked up over the years from social media, picks or it didn't happen. And this is used in response to something, to someone describing an event that they experienced. It could be something out of the ordinary, like meeting a celebrity. And a naysayer might reply with pics or it didn't happen as a way of saying, if you don't post a picture, I won't believe you. Pics or it didn't happen. Thomas doesn't have the luxury of our 21st century technology. He can't see the selfie that the disciples would have undoubtedly posted to social media after this uh, appearance of Jesus. Thomas wasn't there when it happened. And this story is testing how much he trusts his friends. I want to think that Jesus timed it this way on purpose so that when these memories were put into words, this very human need for tangible proof would be canonized along with the rest of the story. Because this story is so human, 
we have an opportunity to see how Jesus relates to all of us, even when we doubt. In this story, we see that Jesus is still with us. Jesus knows we are human and Jesus wants a vulnerable relationship with us. Jesus is still with us. This text starts with the disciples hiding behind locked doors. And this isn't revealing a lack of faith as much as it's a response to their lived reality. The Roman Empire was known to stop an uprising by not only killing the leader, but also the followers. The disciples have good reason to believe their lives are in danger, and they're not sure what to do next. They don't have the big picture. We know that Jesus gave them instructions, and those instructions are obvious to us. We have hindsight and a compiled text that we can read and reread. The disciples are relying on their memories after having experienced a trauma that took them by surprise. They're experiencing the trauma of having their leader, their friend, killed in a most horrific way. They are experiencing grief, fear, and confusion. Scientists tell us that rational thought and even memory recall are impacted by trauma and anxiety. It makes sense that they'd be behind a locked door as they sort things out. Then out of nowhere, Jesus appears. He greets them with, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus knows what they're feeling. He knows they are afraid and he offers them his peace. And this echoes what he said to them right before he was arrested. He told them he would give them his peace and that it would be a different kind of peace than the world gives. This peace is not just a lack of conflict. This is the peace they need right now in the middle of their conflict. Jesus is with them and reminds them that they can have peace, his peace, a peace that is beyond comprehension. And then Jesus shows them his scars to help them <clears throat> make the connection that it's really him. And then he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And maybe, maybe John is trying to represent the, the sending of the Holy Spirit that happened at Pentecost here since his gospel focuses on the signs of God, but most likely this is a separate event, a sneak preview of Pentecost. And this moment also echoes the conversation from a few days prior where Jesus tells his disciples that after he's gone, he will send the Holy Spirit. It's as though Jesus is connecting the dots for them now. He's jogging their memory to bring back the many promises and instructions he gave them on the night he was arrested. He's giving them breadcrumbs to follow so they'll understand what they were taught all along. And this is important because in their fear, they need some guidance. And this is a hopeful text for us as well. God is with us and we can also have this peace. And we have a point in our church service where we pass the peace of Christ for this very reason. And it's often an upbeat moment where we connect with each other. But passing the peace can also be a moment that brings the knowledge that we're deeply loved. This practice can also be powerful 
we may pass a piece that infuses a sense of calm to someone who is holding unbearable anxiety just beneath the surface. We have a wonderful opportunity each week to remind each other that Jesus is with us when we're excited, joyful, afraid, confused, or depressed. Through the Holy Spirit, we can connect with and comfort each other in a very real way. This text also shows us that Jesus knows we are human. Everything about this tells us that Jesus knows we're human and he meets us where we are. We don't see any judgment or reprimand in the way Jesus inter interacts with the disciples. He is gracious towards their fear, their lack of understanding and their doubts. Hearing about the resurrection earlier that day didn't remove their anxiety. So Jesus shows up in the middle of their gathering and offers them peace. Jesus knows they are human. He knows they need peace. He knows they need to experience seeing him for themselves. And he knows they would want to verify it was really him. So he shows them his wounds. Jesus extends himself to them. He doesn't ask them for a leap of faith. He doesn't chide them for not getting it, for not remembering all the things he said while he was with them. Jesus is gentle with them. As we follow Jesus, we can learn something from this text. Are we kind to each other? Do we walk alongside the people who we think don't get it? Do we gently extend ourselves to the people who need help? Jesus appears to the disciples the first time, and then Thomas returns from wherever he was. Now, Thomas is a very pragmatic person. We see that from the other parts of the Gospels. He was probably out getting food for the group or something. And Thomas returns, and here's this fantastic story. It's too good to be true. Maybe Thomas wants what we all would have wanted. He wanted to have been there. He didn't know if this was a, a one-time event that he missed, or maybe his friends are so grief-stricken that they, that they imagined it. Over the years, this story has resulted in what I think is an unfair nickname, Doubting Thomas. But it would be more accurate to name him Realistic Thomas or Analytical Thomas or even simply Human Thomas. The word that is translated here as doubt is closer to a lack of belief. It's a neutral word. The phrase Jesus uses when he talks to Thomas can be read as stop not believing and believe. And it's also unfair that Thomas is remembered as the only one who had trouble believing. I mean, the other disciples didn't believe the women when they first heard the news. Two of them ran to the tomb to see for themselves. And then the two people walking on the road to Emmaus say they didn't believe when they had heard about the resurrection. It wasn't any easier for these first century disciples to believe than it is a couple of millennia later. 
And all of this unbelief by Jesus's followers serves to testify to the truth of the resurrection, really. They recorded their own struggles to believe. This isn't a great selling point if they're making all of this up, and yet it's in there. They're writing down all of their awkward human responses so that we can read it and believe. John tells us this at the end of today's text. He expects that people will have trouble believing and gives his account to help people believe. Thomas needs to know for himself. He needs to see the data. When Jesus appears the second time, he offers them peace again. And then Jesus doesn't even wait for Thomas to ask. He just goes to him and tells him that he can touch his hands and feet and side. Thomas finds out that not only is it true, Jesus knows what Thomas said when he wasn't even present. Jesus didn't begrudge Thomas the opportunity to see for himself. He offers to let Thomas touch his scars because Jesus wants a vulnerable relationship with us. This moment that Jesus shares with Thomas is so gracious and it's also very personal. Thomas is so moved, he responds with a statement of faith, my Lord and my God. Thomas is moved by everything he's seen and he believes instantly. He not only believes that his dear friend is alive, he understands and believes the truth about what Jesus had told them over the years. Jesus wants a relationship with real people rather than just a stoic belief in a set of doctrines. He wants to hear your doubts. He wants to hear what it would take for you to believe. He wants to show up where you are, have a conversation. He wants to walk alongside you to bring you to the place where you can honestly say, my Lord and my God. It's a very human thing to doubt even while we have some amount of faith. In the book Still, Notes on a Mid-Faith Crisis, author Lauren Winner writes about her journey through a time in her life that was filled with grief and doubt. In one of her reflections, she writes, some days I am not sure if my faith is riddled with doubt or whether graciously my doubt is riddled with faith. And yet I continue to live in the world the way a religious person lives in the world. I keep living in a world that I know to be enchanted and not left alone. I doubt, I am uncertain, I am restless, prone to wander, and yet glimmers of holy keep interrupting my gaze. It's human to doubt. It can bubble up when you're investigating faith or when you have a faith that you've developed for many years. And doubts can take many forms. You might start to wonder how you know what you know. You might doubt because there are so many different religions, which one is true, or even within Christianity, there are so many variations. You might doubt because we're so far from the actual events that you wonder if we're experiencing an elaborate game of telephone where the details have changed over time. And you might doubt for the same reason that Thomas doubted. Miracles are difficult to believe without proof. 
or maybe you have doubts that you can't really put into words. Thomas shares his doubts with his friends, but it can be risky to voice your doubts. Sharing your doubts with other people can be met with rejection or judgment. If you share your doubts with a pastor, will you be allowed to volunteer? Will the church leaders treat you differently? Will you ever live it down? I'd like to affirm that it might not be wise to share your deeply personal questions with just anyone, but it can be healing to share your doubts with people you trust. There can be a place where you can wrestle honestly with what you really believe. And maybe you aren't feeling any of this. Maybe you are sincerely not experiencing doubt right now. And that is great. Jesus says here that you are blessed. And this isn't a backhanded compliment or a judgment. It's simply descriptive. You are experiencing the blessing of not struggling with doubt. Hold on to that with gratitude. If you're not struggling with doubt, one way to follow Jesus today is to be the person who is safe for people who need to tell you their doubts. Receive those moments with all the grace and gravity that Jesus receives Thomas. But if you do have doubts, I do know that it can be risky to voice those doubts. I also want you to know that doubts and questions are expected. Jesus already knows about them, and he has all the grace in the world for you. Jesus can handle your doubts. He won't shame or ridicule you. You are not a lost cause, and he won't give you a demeaning nickname. You can tell Jesus about your doubts in prayer. Your relationship with him will grow with this kind of honesty. You will learn experientially that you are not beyond his love. Wherever you are on the spectrum of belief, let me close with this offer. May the peace of Christ be with you today. Please pray with me. Loving God, give us eyes to see the ways in which you appear to us in our everyday life. Help us to listen for your words of peace and to offer them to others. Give us the courage to talk to you honestly about things that are going well and about the things that are difficult. Remind us that you meet us with love and gentleness. Remind us to extend that same love and gentleness to the people we come in contact with. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.